Our scripture reading this morning is from Revelation 3, 14 through 22. If you'd like to read along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 869. The message to the church in Laodicea. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Last uh, Easter morning, I got a lot of uh, texts and emails with two words on it early in the morning. Anybody want to take a guess at what they said? Yeah. Tomb's empty. Got a lot of those. But the very first one I got, and I can't remember, 5 a.m., I can't remember exactly when, but I got it all the way from Algeria from our dear member and mandolin and guitar player Andy Johnson. I think we have a picture of him. This was him, and we just got this this morning, we thought we got to put that up there, but this is him in Algeria. Uh, Bradley Arant, Arant goes across the planet, let me tell you, their reach is uh, quite far. But he was dealing with some cases over there and uh, made some friends over there, obviously. And uh, it just so happened that my opening story has to do with Algeria. Uh, there was a truck driver named Log was his last name, and he was going across uh, the Saharan Desert in uh, Algeria, and most of Algeria is Saharan desert, isn't it? Except for the very north uh, rim of it, it's, it's all desert. Uh, and this guy named Log was driving across, and his truck broke down, and he was there with his friend, and for three weeks they were in uh, the desert. And uh, this is recounted in a book called Sahara Unveiled by William Languish. And, and they were there for three weeks. Uh, became dehydrated, and again, we've had this series, and I think I forgot to mention that, but our series on hydrate or dihydrate, but they were definitely getting dehydrated. And uh, after a while, they, they dug a shallow trench under the truck just to try to stay cool. They actually had food, but they had nothing good to drink, and, and so they wouldn't dare eat anything. You know, you, you don't die of starvation nearly as quickly as you can of, of dehydration, as you well know, and it's a terrible way for a person to die. Jesus, at least in part, died of dehydration, as you, as you know. 
But they were there, and they just thought, we will drink anything, and I won't go into uh, too much of the details on that, but it got so bad that at one point they decided to drink the rusty radiator water from the truck, and that had to be horrendous, and they were uh, to the point of being willing to drink poison is really what it was. Well, many people do something similar in the spiritual realm, don't they? They think that, uh, you know, if they could just have enough money, if they could just have enough sex, if they could have enough power, that will quench their spiritual thirst, and it never does. Those thirst quenchers are really, in reality, spiritual poison, and it's a tragic substitute for that living water that we've been talking about that only Jesus can offer. And so John talks about this in his book of Revelation, In fact, he has a vision where Jesus is addressing this very issue to a people who were drinking water that was tainted, that was subpar. And everybody needs living water. Even in our neck of the woods, over the mountain where we think we're so rich and privileged and everything, it reminds us very much of the people of Laodicea. And that's the people to whom Jesus is speaking. So let's go to the next slide. We're just going to kind of walk through this for a few minutes. Uh, chapter 4 of Revelation, starting at verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is Jesus speaking. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Fancy way of saying, Jesus, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How many of y'all have ever heard this verse? And a lot of people often think it has to do with spiritual fervor and being on fire for Jesus. It's really talking about being useful for God. What does it say? He says, I know all the things you do. It's not like I know your conviction or what you say. Yeah, I am a Christian. It's what you do. And you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. What's the background of this? Let's go to the next slide here. Uh, He goes on to say, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. The people in Laodicea had this rich gold uh, uh, depository in their city so they had a lot of money so you say i don't need a thing and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked so i advise you to buy gold from me jesus is addressing things that they are familiar with and are proud of buy gold from me gold that has been purified by fire then you will be rich also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness why white garments Uh, the people lay out to see it in that little region was known for a very rare wool from black sheep. Very, very rare. They were black sheep even as adults, and, and uh, they would uh, take the wool off of them, and it was this very fine black wool that they were proud of and which made a lot of bank for them. So Jesus is using a contrast there. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes. Back then... Uh, Laodicea was in a region known as Phrygia, and it was called Phrygian Eye Salve. They had a medical clinic of sorts where they made this powdery substance called Phrygian Eye Salve, and, and it would, y'all have ever you've used Visine or Clear Eyes, it, it would make uh, their eyes feel better. Some thought that it even had some kind of, um, not just therapeutic effect, but supernatural effect, and it could help the blind see better. Well, maybe, maybe not, but they were proud of it. But that's why he's using these images of of the black garments and the gold and then the ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Okay, so you see where he's setting this up saying, y'all think you're so privileged there over the mountain, but you're really not. You're poor and wretched like everybody else. That's what Diane was really saying to us uh, earlier. Now, let's go to the next one. Uh, Yeah, let me go back. 
Let me just go down to where it says, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now that needs some historical background. Some of you know this, some of you might not. Let's go to the next, next thing here. Okay, now this is uh, modern day uh, uh, Turkey here, the southwestern part of Turkey. And, uh, but in ancient times, it was uh, the kingdom of Phrygia around here. And Laodicea is right here, okay? So let's uh, zoom in on that. Let's go to the next, next uh, slide there. This is actually Laodicea. Again, it was known as a rich place, kind of a, uh, almost a resortish kind of place, very proud of, of what they had there, all the resources. I think we got one more slide there. Uh, this is formerly uh, the temple of uh, Artemis and later on the temple of Aphrodite and Apollo that's there uh, that they had constructed there at Laodicea. Okay, next one. Okay, now, here's Laodicea. Follow me here. There's Laodicea. Five miles to the north is a city called Hierapolis. Ten miles to the east is Colossae, where you get Paul's letter to the, help me, Colossians, very good. Say it with gusto. Paul's letter to the, oh yeah, muscle there, great. All right, uh, yeah, Paul's letter to the, so that's ten miles to the east, five miles to the north is Hierapolis. What was Hierapolis known for? Next slide. Hierapolis to this day, and this is kind of hard to see, but, but uh, right here you see these, these were formerly these full hot springs. You've heard of Warm Springs, Georgia. You've heard of Hot Springs, Arkansas, right? Uh, it was a place where people would go, and, and, and the hot springs there had this therapeutic effect. They were useful. They did something. This is going back to the hot, cold lukewarm so this is a uh, hierapolis i think we have one more picture this is some of the ruins of it this is where some of the uh hot springs were where people would sit like right over here right here but it's uh, had uh, some of the uh, pillars and places tumbled over but that's where these hot springs were five miles north of laodicea okay let's go though to Colossae. let's go to the next slide now uh you really can't see it here this is a dry Waterbed. Right here is uh, some cold springs. Let's go to the next one. You can probably see it better. Yeah. Uh, these are some cold springs. That's what Colossae was known for, and this is in Colossae. They were known for their cool, cold springs. So again, just as the, the hot water, the hot springs in Hierapolis served this therapeutic function, so these cold springs served a, 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 a similar, I guess you could say, therapeutic function because they would, they would uh, cool uh, the parched throats of people because of the pure water that you have there. So that's Colossae. Okay, next, next slide here. Okay, let's go back. So you have Colossae 10 miles over here. You've got Hierapolis 5 miles here to the north. Laodicea had a lot of bank, but they had a problem. You see where Colossae was right along the Lycus River there. They had a wonderful water supply. Hierapolis didn't need the Lycus River. They had these uh, uh, hot springs that were bubbling up, right? Laodicea, the one thing they didn't have was a good water supply, poor water supply, but they had the money. So they got money and gave it to the Roman Empire who was in charge at that point. And they built these things where, that, that tr uh, transported water, not underground like we often do here, but above ground. What were those called that the Romans did? Aqueducts, very good. Uh, is Greg Davis here? I heard he didn't get it. Yeah, you didn't get it right. Sorry. Uh, he always gets things right. Okay, so they transported the water from Colossae and from Hierapolis, and they did it by way of, um, of, uh, of aqueducts, which I think we have in the next frame here. So they transported over. But guess what? By the time it got to Laodicea, I just want you to guess what that water was like. Somebody want to help me? It was lukewarm. It was lukewarm. So what is Jesus saying? 
you know, Laodicea, you've got all this stuff, but you're not making use of it. You're not making yourself useful. I know you by what you do. That's what was read just a moment ago. I know you by what you do. And they're not doing what they could do with the resources that they have. They're not sharing their cup of living water to people who need it. Gosh, just this morning, Ralph Garth gave a good word to us at the breakfast. And one thing he said was, you know, i got to de- go down and work in the mud. i got to work in the dirt. And he said, y'all don't have to do that as much. And he's right. I mean, he's literally pulling people out of ditches who are dealing with addiction or prostitution or whatever. He's, and he said, I, you know, I do the dirty work, but you can do, and I know what he meant. He said, y'all can help me with the light work, though, as far as equipping people and educating people, whether it's leadership or dealing with money or anything like that. And, I, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm the one who helps them spiritually, but you can help them with your gifts to equip them. And I thought, golly, I remember years ago, a professor at Sanford reminded me that, you know, we're not just saved from, we are saved to. We're not just saved, and, and I thought, that's what Ralph does. He saves people from their dark past, their, their dark addiction, saves them from that. But we can help save them to a, a better life by helping equip them in the ways that you and I have gifts. Uh, and, and I thought about, you know, I, I actually interrupted him down there because we were talking about this. And, and I said, you know, Ralph... Uh, Every, every Sunday when I do the benediction, I'll say, by the love of God fully revealed in the face of Jesus, y'all help me. You have been redeemed, and you are being redeemed. And I thought, yeah, Ralph is helping us with having these people be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and be brought to a new transforming life. But we can help them be redeemed. Does that make sense? I'm going to start thinking of Truvine whenever I say those words as I'm walking out, because we can help them, even as we are becoming, we're not just Christians, we're becoming Christians. Uh, as, as Ralph leads them to Christ, we can help lead them to become all the more uh, Christ-like leaders and citizens and that kind of thing. Okay, we're in a privileged part of the planet, and we need to be reminded of this stuff. You know, last year, Business Insider, which is a magazine and something on social media, Talked about the the best suburbs in America, the 50 best suburbs. Mountain Brook was number two. Uh, Vestavia was way up there. I didn't see Homewood, but Homewood should be up there. I mean, we live in one of the best areas. And even if you don't live in one of those over the mountain places, that's fine. You're still mighty privileged compared to the vast majority of people on the planet. And, and, And we have these spiritually dehydrating people though even here in mount brook so appreciate what diane said because yeah we're in the at least a lot of us not all of us by any stretch but a lot of us are in supposedly in all these lists but anyway we're supposedly the second best suburb in america but you can run into spiritually dehydrated people here in mountain brook every day of the week many of us do so what are we doing to bring that cup of living water of jesus to these people I've talked about uh, uh, Malcolm Muggeridge before. Uh, he was a, a well-known writer and satirist. He was a Brit and, and just became very famous because of his gift of writing. He was also, in his earlier years, a philanderer, and I would say a misogynist. He wasn't good to women, I don't think. But then he came to know Christ, and his life was just kind of blown apart and, and renewed in a powerful way. He wrote the first book uh, that we know of that really put Mother Teresa on the map, uh, right here and and it's called something beautiful for god and it really is what what made her famous and and thank god he did that uh, but toward the end of his life he was sitting there typing at his uh, his old standard typewriter i think we got a picture of it here and he wrote these words and this is after he became a believer 
He said this, I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the Internal Revenue Service. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake in trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade that represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, and this is what he says, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them together, and they are nothing less than nothing a positive impediment compared or excuse me measured against one draft of that living water christ offers to the spiritually thirsty irrespective of who or what they are and he's right we need to let people know even those who seem to have all the fame all the success all the pleasure all the fulfillment they need to know of the living water of jesus there's an interesting provocative book i remember that came out in 2012 it's called embracing obscurity becoming nothing in light of god's everything it's published by broadman and holman which is a good baptist publisher but we don't know the author to this day it was anonymous and it was that by design it's some probably well-known minister or theologian but they decided not to get any fame about it because they wanted to, to publish this in obscurity and in self-giving service to everybody else, kind of to be an example of the way Christ himself died to self on behalf of others. And he uses water to describe what it means to bring Jesus' living water to people. And I just want to read this. He said, One evening while watering the garden, the sheer sacrifice of true service overwhelmed me. There amongst the tomatoes and parsley, I realized that most of my previous attempts at service were very much like the garden hose in my hand. I was in control, dictating how, when, and whom I would serve. With my nifty sprayer, I could even stop the water altogether when I felt like it. The flow of Christ's love that I gave to others depended on my mood, the health of my career, even how much sleep I got the night before. Mine was and still often is a self-righteous, self-gratifying service. We've all been there. In contrast, I noticed a soaker hose in the planter across from me. It watered the ground completely indiscriminately. Dozens of holes let the water loose and had no shutoff switch. Life-giving water oozed all over the place, like it or not. To serve like a soaker hose means to pour out Christ's love from every pore of our beings, not concerning ourselves with the timing, the effect it might have on our productivity, or the worthiness of the recipients. If God has turned on the water in our lives, filling us with his life-giving springs, why would we hold them back from anyone? For fear of running out, doesn't he have an infinite supply of living water? He's right. When you do that, you're doing it for Jesus. In our closing verses are what? Look at verses 20 and 21. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together, which we are about to do right now with the Lord's Supper. And I would ask this, that you would consider yourself sharing the Lord's Supper here, especially when you pick up the cup here and take it back to where you sit down with the cup and with the bread. And when you feel led, uh, you will partake of both. But think about, am I sharing this cup? 
as I drink this cup, as I look at this cup, am I sharing this like I can? Even here over the mountain where I can fool myself into thinking that people, all people know who Jesus is and all people are fulfilled in their lives. Absolutely not the case, and I hope you and I both recognize that. How willing are you to share the cup of Jesus with others around you? And I hope and pray you will think about that as we partake of this meal. Let's prepare ourselves in prayer for this. Lord, we ask that as we come forward, we will hear your voice, hear your knock, and share this meal with you. But Lord, as we look at the cup, remind us that as we leave this place, we need not be hot or cold and not be lukewarm, definitely, but simply be useful for you. May we challenge ourselves to do that, that this would not just be a mere ritual that we do in such routine fashion but that we will leave this place willing to share the living water of your son Jesus with others. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.